Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia, including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, The Sermon Sandwich, recorded on August 28, 2022, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Well, that was awesome having the little ones in here with us this morning. There's no better way to make a worshiper than to model worship. In your heart, in your home, in your car, wherever that might be. Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the day that you've blessed us with. Lord, may your word just go out and, and hit the mark, Father God, in each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, before I start today, my sermon is kind of short, so I'm going to actually, the Lord had given me a couple of words, impressions over the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to kind of share those with you. One of the things that um, he had impacted upon me was, in, um, typically at night, I'll go walking around my neighborhood, and I, I crossed the street, and it just hit me. I said, I am moving through time and space. And I didn't realize until I got older that I was a little bit more of an introvert than what I thought I was. And it's always that I was social around gatherings where I was comfortable, which makes sense for an introvert. Extroverts, they're just social in any kind of a setting, and they just love to, to connect and interact with people. And I found that because I was an introvert, that a lot of times I would kind of gravitate away from where there were people. And God has not created us to live our lives in isolation. We are created to be interdependent. We are the body of Christ. We fit together in such a majestic way that we are created to function within the larger sphere of the body, within that purpose, each of us doing the part that only we can do. And so as it really forced me to question myself on two levels. One, Am I simply just making my way through time and space from the beginning of my life to the end of my life, and I'll have never really made a, an effective contact or impact upon another person's life? If I do, then I'm bankrupt, because that's not what God has created me or us to do. And so the second thing was, am I even worthy of being used by God as a vessel when I do come into contact with his people. It says that we're all, we're all vessels, but we're at different kind of levels of readiness because of how it is that we live our lives. And sometimes when we present ourselves to God, God says, well, you know what, because of the things that you haven't dealt with yet, I can't use you for these specific kind of works. I can use you for these over here, but I can't use you for these kind of works. Until we have completely been sanctified and we have been washed clean by that blood of Jesus, and then we're able to be used, then we can be used for whatever, we're that clean bowl that you can put anything in. Have you ever had like a kitchen bowl that ended up finding its way into the garage? You know, and then you're like, oh man can't be using that again or we usually that happens with a pair of scissors that were in the in the drawer and then they find their way and you know they've been cutting open like something with motor oil on them and you're like oh, I'm not going to use that to 
to <laughs> cut open the, the food stuff. So in the same way in the kingdom, we need to make sure that we allow God to cleanse us so that we can be used for whatever purposes that he has. And the second word, and this, this one I had uh, actually just last week, and God basically asked me, and so I will ask you, what is your capacity for God at this point in time? So each of us are a finite capacity, and that capacity is filled up with a lot of things that interest us. You know, you could maybe just look at your calendar for the week and you go, okay, I've got, I've got work, I don't really have any you know way of saying no to that if I want to continue to live and eat and all those kind of things. So that's going to take up maybe 50% of the capacity of your person. And then there's um, sleep, and so I've got to have that capacity set aside. So then you're down to this like 20% of capacity, and it's the energies and the things of focus, all of those things. And God is just asking, what percentage of capacity have you left for me? And it's not so much that we can create more capacity, but God is saying, what are those things in there that you can remove to allow more space for me so that I can work through you? Because anytime we give something up to God, we're not really giving it away. It's not really a loss because he's going to pour something into us that will allow to flow through us in a way that is so custom to us that we will be surprised that we, that we ever hoarded that space and kept it from God to be used in the beginning. Amen? Okay. So those were totally freebies, had nothing to do with today's message. They were just on my heart, and I wanted to share them with you. So today we're actually going to be picking um, up, uh, this is part two of Mark's uh, sermon that he preached last week, and um, I'll get into the title in just a minute, Um, but he left us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, which I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And he gave us a word. Do you remember the word that, that Mark gave us last week? that we should remember if all of anything that we should remember do you remember that word it starts with e expatiation do you you remember what that means that means that our sins are not only forgiven but the record of their existence is removed and as i was thinking about that i thought to myself it would almost be though now if we ever got into a situation where we had to go to court we could always know that the verdict is going to be not guilty. Every single time that you ever go to court, you know, you've committed an offense, you have to go in, you have your day in court, and every single time the verdict is going to be not guilty. But more so, better than not guilty, because the only thing that court really tells you is that they don't have enough evidence to convict you of guilt. But in the court of the kingdom of God, it's not guilt and not guilt. It's innocence and guilty. And in the eyes of God, when we take upon the blood of Christ and everything that he has done for us, we now stand before God as innocent. And it would be as though we would no longer need any of the jails. And so could you imagine if we started going and tearing down all of the penitentiaries and all of the city jails and they, um, the governor and all the people might go, well, you guys are pretty sure of yourself that we're never going to have use for this institution. And in the kingdom of God, that is exactly what's been done. 
that penalty for sin has been taken away. And what and the the simile that I'm using here is that there is no longer a means for forgiveness because our forgiveness is complete in what Christ did for us. And as we pick up, we're going to read three sections of Scripture here in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Oh, and I forgot to mention, if you would like to follow along with my notes, if you go to reviverancho.org and click on the Sunday Bulletin, all of my notes are right there. And so... We have three sections of scripture here, and um, anyone here ever been in a job situation where you've been evaluated by your supervisor or a manager? Now, there's a, there's a little technique that managers learn called the sandwich evaluation. Are you familiar with what that is? And basically what that is, is it's a three-part evaluation. You start with something positive. You dig into to the negative stuff in the middle, that's you know the critiques that they have for you, the, the things that you're, that you're not doing so good in your job. And then they end with a little positive piece, and together it makes this cool little sandwich. And so I've entitled today the Sermon Sandwich because we're going to be looking at three sections of, of Scripture here in, in Hebrews 10. And the first one is positive, the second one is negative, and, and the last one is positive. I'm like, it's the perfect Sermon Sandwich. So we'll just go ahead and enjoy that today. So we're going to be starting in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 19 through 25, and then I'm just going to kind of summarize each of these as we go through them. So beginning in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So basically what this scripture is, is this is a scripture that says everything that's happened up to this point now demands a response. And he's saying this is what your response should be. And he, he goes all the way through it. He says, we have all these things. We have confidence to enter a new and living way that he opened for us. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, our response should be, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, without, without wavering, with full confidence. In 2001, Bob Dylan had a concert up in Oregon. Now, 2001, if you all remember, September 9-11 was a fairly significant day in American history. Um, I was actually working as a flight attendant at the time, and I had just gotten home from a flight, um, from a trip, and the very next morning, two towers went down in New York City. And for the first time that I can ever remember in American history, all flights were grounded. So for an entire week, I didn't work. And we were wondering if, I was wondering if I was even going to have a job again. And a week later, things started to pick up again. But from that point forward, security-wise in the United States, everything changed. Well, the Bob Dylan concert was the same way. He got together with his security folks at the local venue. And he said, I want you to scrutinize anyone and everyone that comes in to the concert. 
So it's about 20 minutes before the concert's supposed to start. It was a no smoking venue. Bob Dylan wanted to have a cigarette. So he went out behind the venue and he had a cigarette. And as he was trying to come back into the venue, three security people stopped him because he didn't have his backstage pass. And if you don't know who Bob Dylan is, Google him. He looks a little rough at times, got long curly hair, kind of a scraggly beard. And nobody, nobody believed that he was the headliner of this concert. It took about 10 minutes for him to insist that he did have a right to be here and that they should let him in, or a lot of people were going to be very upset. And so finally they let him into his own concert. And later on, they actually thanked the venue. They said, we really do appreciate you scrutinizing this, even to the point of not letting the host of the concert in. And they all had a good laugh about it. But Bob's confidence is the same kind of confidence that we should have in entering into the throne room of grace. You should have confidence, full assurance, without wavering, knowing that you have an expectant right to be there because you now have the pass that has let you in. The reluctance and shame that we once had was a reality, and it can continue to be a reality if we will let those false authorities at the door say, no, you can't come in. And I guarantee you, they will challenge you. I can't tell you how many times I've been standing here in this very spot and in the middle of a sermon, the enemy will begin to speak to me in the back of my mind and go, I know what you did this week. How dare you think you have a right to be up there to say anything? And I can't argue with the reality that I struggle with sin, but I only have to point the enemy and say, yes, but all of my sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and I have the full assurance to be here to share the word of God. Okay. So not only should we have full assurance, but we should have such a contagious conviction that we stir one another to love and good works. And we do this by going where God's people gather. And I'm so blessed within our church that we have so many different opportunities for us to gather just beyond the Sunday morning. We, we've got uh, men's meetings that are going on, the Friday night meetings, and, and I know that uh, Madonna and Tom had been doing their Wednesday night meetings, and maybe they'll be, be starting those again. So there's all kinds of opportunities to gather outside of the church to be in the presence of other believers. And why do we do that? We do that to encourage one another and to be encouraged. Would you say that the level of hostility in the world has has risen a little bit over the last 10 years? I, I can't believe, I, I come from Iowa and one of the things about Iowans was we've always, we've always been known to be very friendly. In fact, um, whenever my mom used to come to visit, she would always strike up a conversation with random strangers. And I'm like, Mom, you can't be doing that. She's like, oh, it's okay. You know, just <laughs> she always had her way about her. And um, it's just not the same way. I saw a little TikTok the other day, and it was kind of cool. It was all these little kids, and they were on their big wheels and their bikes, and they were all gathered outside at dusk in the middle of the street. And it said, this was the last time this generation was ever able to do that. Because we just live in a different kind of world where a kid can walk from his house to the school bus and be abducted. There was a story the other day about a six-year-old that was, somebody tried to abduct them from their, was it their own house or something like that? I mean, not even in your, and if we didn't have little cameras on the outside of our homes, we might not even know what was going on. And so we live in a very much different day. But really the reality of it is, 
is that the darkness of the unseen world is starting to become visible. That evil has always been there. But the goodness of God has pushed it back. And when God's people gather, guess what? We form this circle of grace and mercy, and we push back the darkness. And it should be a place of refuge. It should be a place of healing. It should be a place where we can go in and be who we truly are and have people pray for us. And so I encourage you to continue gathering together as we have been in the habit of doing so. All right. So that is the top layer of our sermon sandwich here. And now we're going to get into the next section of scripture, which I'm calling the apostasy warning. Now, an apostate is simply a person who once believed and then later on in life, they turn their back on it and they reject that belief. So we'll go ahead and read this little section. It's in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the foot the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So let me just summarize the scripture real quick. So basically what he's saying here is, now that I've told you that we've done away with the very mechanism that was in place for years and years to forgive you of, of sins, and now that's all complete in Christ. And so if you have heard this and you now are privy to the fact that you can receive this grace and this knowledge, and then you turn your back on Christ, I'm sorry, you're sunk. There's no other remedy left for you because if you demand that Christ die for you again, that is the biggest offense to the heavens that, that there ever was. And there's nothing left for you but a very torment, uh, tormented time in hell. And so this is basically the life of the apostate, the one that once believed and now they, they, they firmly do not. And of course, the question then is, how do I know if I'm guilty of this? Well, the first thing is, if you care enough to ask that question, you're safe. Because you wouldn't even care. If you were in that apostate heart, that darkened heart, that didn't care, that pushed away God, that would be the least of your worries as, as to like, oh, gee, did I lose my salvation? Because you, that's not even on your radar. You see, if the Spirit still convicts you, if you still have that little sting inside when you commit a sin, you're like, oh, man then you're still safe because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can convict us of sin, that can make us aware of that, and also provide the means. And this is the most amazing thing, that he is the one that makes us aware of, and he also provides. He's like, you know what? You're hungry. Here's a sandwich. You're like, wow, that was amazing. It's all of this one-stop shop. So I want to give you a little bit of 
Now, this is just my stance on what I believe that we see in a lot of modern-day apostates, is that a lot of times we'll see a person that's, that looks like they're a Christian, they, they talk the talk, they walk the walk, they have the lifestyle, and then they turn their back on God. My belief in most of those cases is I believe that their salvation was probably never genuine. And I say that for this reason. In Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower and the seed. And he talks about how the seed is thrown onto the soil, and then sometimes the birds, they come and they devour it. So even before the seed has a chance to take root, those outside forces come and they steal that away. Well, then there's other seed that gets planted. It goes into the soil, but the soil is so shallow that over time the sun beats down upon it and that that seed never has the opportunity to take root. And you, we see that in a, in a lot of different things. And then the last one is that the seed finally does get an opportunity to take root, but then the cares and the worries of the world come in like thorns and it chokes it out. And so there's a lot of opportunities. The seed is, is spread far and it's spread wide. And sometimes it looks like it's growing and then it dies. And as I had said, my stance is I believe that in most of those cases, there was never really a foundation that was established for that person in Christ. Now, big picture, my opinion doesn't matter because only God knows, right? I have people in my own life, in my own family, who grew up with what I saw as very vibrant, loving relationships to God, who I now interact with today, and I question whether that was genuine. I had an opportunity to have lunch a couple of weekends ago with a buddy I hadn't seen in nearly 20 years, and I had an opportunity to share uh, this story about this family member with him. And he said, well, how old are they? And I told him the age. He goes, don't even worry about it. He goes, when I was that age, I fell away from God. I didn't want anything to do with him. He goes, but then I got married and I got a family. And man, I ran back to God because I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. I was like, okay, well, I needed that word of encouragement because our role now is to pray for those. Pray for those prodigals. Pray that that seed would get an opportunity to become rooted in the ground so that they could begin to grow and experience the full love of God. Because here's the thing that I can't imagine, is that you have an inkling of understanding of the grace and the love of God, and then you reject it, and then you go to hell. Would that not just be the most true sadness that there is? Is to have some idea that there was a different reality that you could have had? I would rather go to hell completely ignorant of that than to have that knowledge and then reject it. So that was meaty, and that was negative, and that was the middle section of our, of our, um, of our scripture here. I did want to take an opportunity today because when I was growing up, there was a guy that was kind of like the, the poster child for the apostate. And uh, he actually started as a preacher when he was 17 years old. And he was a Pentecostal preacher. He was hardcore. He would go to these tent revivals and evangel evangelist meetings. And when he was 23 years old, he sat down with his family and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from the ministry. And they were like, well, what are you going to do? He said, I want to become a comedian. 
And they're like, what? He goes, well, if I can make them laugh in church, I can, I can make them laugh in the world. And he walked away from the church, not only because he wanted to become a comedian, but because also he became very disillusioned because he was hurt by some things that had happened to him personally in the church. And a lot of us have been hurt by the church because the church is not perfect. The church is made up of God's sinful and fallen people. And so our expectation should never just be about the church. And, and if you ask a lot of people, they'll say, yeah, I'm not religious, but what? I'm spiritual or I believe in Jesus. And that's okay to a form, but you know what? That's, one, that's once again one of those deceptive ways that the enemy keeps the gathering from occurring. And we need to debunk those lies and say, you know, I understand that, but you should still give it a try. It's like that one time when your friend made you mad, did you, do you never hang out with that friend anymore? Now nah, we got over it. Well, then get over it. Come back to church. Come back and receive the fullness of the blessing that God has for you. This apostate preacher turned comedian was named Sam Kinison. Any of you guys familiar with who that is? If you're from the 80s, you, you, know, you know about Sam. He was, the, he was the screaming comedian. This last week, I had a chance to watch a couple of old interviews that he had with Larry King and Jimmy, uh, Johnny Carson. And he was very honest. He was very candid about talking about where he had come from. He also acknowledged, he goes, I, I think of anything, I do know which side of heaven and hell that I'm on. He goes, I'm pretty sure that I am on the side of hell. Um, he, he dealt with a lot of uh, substance abuse issues with alcohol and cocaine. One of the jokes that he started, one of his comedy routines was, he comes out, he says, folks, I've been sober now for 17 days, just not in a row. And um, he, he, one of the things that I look at, because I, I look at people like him, I look at people like um, Warren Buffett, who's one of the wisest financial people, but I had done a lot of research on him. I don't believe that he's saved. The couple of things that I had read about him is that he had kind of just pushed aside religion or anything to do with that. And it always makes me sad when I think of people that are used in such amazing ways, but then fail to finish the race, fail to connect the dots, fail to, to give all glory to God that's due for everything that's been good about their lives. And so... Uh, I remember when I was a young person and I would watch Sam Kinison and I was like, man, I can't believe this guy who's so hardcore was a preacher. And uh, one of the statements that he ended up making, which kind of shed a little bit of light on where his heart of reference still truly was, he said, you know, you can make him laugh and he loved to make him laugh. He, he loved the joy that he received from getting a chuckle from one of his jokes. He said, but you can't make him happy. It takes God to do that. And Sam Kinison was on his way to his sold-out um, comedy concert in Las Vegas. He was driving his Pontiac Trans Am, and a 17-year-old kid came out and hit him head-on in, in a car crash. And his family was driving behind him, and they get up to him, and he was wedged between the front seat and the back seat. And they thought he was okay. It ended up that he had all kinds of internal injuries and everything. And they said when they first started to talk to him, he was talking to someone off to the right, almost having this argument. No, no, no I'm not ready. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then finally, after a little bit of arguing, he said, okay, I'm ready. And then he died. 
We don't know who he, who he was talking to. We can, we can conjecture, we can speculate. But at the end of the day, I say this to say that even the most extreme apostate that we might think is a lost cause, God hasn't yet given up on. And so our responsibility as those who know, as those who can pray, is to pray. If God has given you knowledge of someone that needs to be prayed for, then guess what your responsibility is? You need to pray for them. All right. So the final part of our sandwich starts in Hebrews 10 and goes from verse 32 to 39. And this has a little bit of positive, a little bit of negative. I call it that little secret sauce that they spread on the bottom piece of the bun. You know, just to give that sandwich just that little bit of, um, of juiciness. You guys will probably all go have hamburgers after we're done today. Okay, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those of faith and preserve their souls. So the first part of this is he's giving a caution. He says, don't allow the sufferings and the struggles to make you waver or worse yet, to give in and to give up. Now, I'm a guy that's, I'm a very no drama kind of a person. I, I, if people are arguing and, and you kind of see people around that are always kind of just stirring things up and you're like, man, why? And <laughs> I grew up in an alcoholic home and um, my dad had a routine when he would come home drunk. He would come home, he would go downstairs and he would fall asleep. Well, my mom was somewhat codependent and so sometimes my mom would go down and poke the bear. And my sister and I, we, we would be upstairs and we were like, okay, dad, dad got home and he's going to go down and he'll fall asleep and it'll all be good. And then we would hear my mom walk downstairs and we're like, don't do it. And she would have some conversation and then we used to call them the Friday night fights at our house because every Friday and Saturday night, parents would come home and usually some sort of fireworks would commence. <laughs> and I knew no different. I, I grew up and I would go and stay over at friend's house, um, spend the night and I'd be like, man, it's so quiet here. What's, what's the deal? <laughs> but when you grow up in that kind of a chaotic kind of a family, it's just normal. And until you see something different, then you really don't know that normal isn't what you've been experiencing. And so some people that I know are very heavily politically opinionated. And so being a no drama guy, I tend to be very agreeable. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily in agreement with their political stance. It's just that I don't really care about the, pol the political stuff. I don't really care about it. And so it's not a hill that I have decided that's my last battle and I'm going to die on this hill because I'm going to debate you on this. 
I come from the belief system that in the bigger picture, God is establishing the authorities in the way and how it is that he wants them. He's going to use them. My responsibility is to pray for them, to obey them, not to be a blind sheep. And so if there's things that I disagree with, I try to go through the protocols and the formats that are in place to have those things changed. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to lose sleep over who's in the White House or who's not in the White House or who's in our, our governor's house. It's just that's not where my focus tends to be. I don't when when I look at the news, I look at the news channels and I go, okay, what's going to make me watch channel seven over channel 13 or channel two or channel four? And do you know what the mandate for every sing, single one of those people that goes and finds the news? They say, find the thing that will be the most eye-catching. Doesn't mean it's the, the best story. Doesn't mean that it's good news. It just means that it's going to be so spectacular that you're going to watch it. At the end of the day, it's all about the dollar sign. And that's, you know, back in the day when it was just the four channels, you know, the just NBC, CBS, ABC, and PBS. Do you remember Sweeps Week? Remember when they used to have that? And it was that one week when they would put all of their programming on there because that was the week that they were measuring to see who was on the top. Who had the best ratings of all of those stations? Do you think it's any different now that we have 500 stations with... with uh, now, now what do we have on Hulu unless you pay for the expensive Hulu? You get commercials with your movies. You know, I always thought with streaming channels, oh, great, Netflix, I'm never going to have to endure commercials again. Now, <laughs> commercials right in the middle of my movie, I'm like, it's because, once again, it is a for-profit venture. News is no different. So we should never mistake news for facts because news also comes at the bias of the one who is paying the bills for the news. So I am just exposing what is already there. We're shining light on that darkness. Take maybe a bigger overview of the news that you listen to. Maybe not just one source. Doesn't mean that you have to buy into or believe, but maybe get a better understanding. It's like if these people are so bound and determined to say that this is fact, and then this other faction over here saying, oh, this is fact, Maybe we should look to not necessarily fact, but to truth. The truth that is in the word of God, by which all things in this world should be measured. Amen? Okay. So we're to stand in truth. We're not to get swept away in the worldliness that is around us. And the encouragement that we're given in this chapter here is don't give up and don't give in when it gets tough. And I don't have to tell you that we're going to have struggles we're going to have sufferings, but sometimes those sufferings can become so overwhelming that it's, that it's hard to remember that God is in control, right? Because you're like, if God, if you're really in control, why are you allowing this? And of course, that's the, that's the question that we'll all be asking God when we get there. How could you allow X, Y, and Z to happen? And that's one of the big questions that the world has for why they don't subscribe to the fact that there is a God. He goes, well, if there was a God, then he would never allow this X, Y, and Z to happen. But then if we go back to the passion story, why would God allow his own son to be arrested, to be falsely charged, to be beaten and tortured, and then executed by the execution method of the day? 
How and why would God allow that? Because he had an eternal purpose in that. I have a friend of mine. I, I've probably talked about him in the past. I, I'm, I want to brag on him now just because of where he's come from. He, he struggled a lot with some, with some substance abuse issues, and he finally got clean. In the midst of his struggle, he ended up uh, dating a girl who uh, had some mental illness things, and she ended up committing suicide with a weapon that he owned. And uh, he knew that she was struggling with these kind of things, and she would sometimes go off the map and not contact anybody for days and days. And at one point when that had happened, he called the cops and asked them to do a welfare check on her. They did. She was fine. Of course, once she found out that he was the one that called, she was very upset. And so this other time, hadn't heard from her for days and days and days. He calls me. He's like, man, I really want to find out if she's okay, but I don't know. And um, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you can either call the police, have them do a welfare check for your own peace of mind at the risk of her being a little aggravated, or you can just wait it out. Well, when the, when the police ended up doing the welfare check, they ended up finding her dead. And as I said, um, she had killed herself with a weapon that he, that he owned. And it was just a huge, I mean, you can't even imagine just the depression and with the, the temptation to, to uh, go back to the, the substance abuse kinds of things. And it was a, it was a good two years before he, he really got out of that. And uh, he started uh, very um, consistently going to um, the, the anonymous groups that you go to, the support groups. And now God is using him in such a way that he sits there and he goes, I know exactly why it is that I went through this dark season of my life. He goes, it's now I can talk to these young guys that come in. And one of the things that cracked me up was he would always call me when he was in the midst of his, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use or I'm going to take a drink in the midst of that. And I would call him and I would pray for him. And he told me after the fact, he goes, you know what? None of your prayers did any good for me. He goes, because I always ended up drinking. He goes, the only thing that really helped me was when I was able to talk to somebody that was more hardcore than me on the very things that I was struggling with. And that's why sometimes God allows us to go through these incredibly dark journeys because he knows that we're going to then be a resource for those later on down the road if we will choose to be used by God in that way. Amen. It doesn't make sense in the time, in the time that we're going through it, but after we have walked away and you have that sense of endurance. And that's why he said, don't give up your endurance. When you walk through something like that, you have an endurance for that that you're not even aware of until you begin to struggle with that. And you're like, okay, no, I, I can deal with this. This is fine. And you, you know, you kind of have that core strength and you kind of just, you take your stance and you're just, you're ready for that to come at you. And you know that you're not going to be toppled because God has allowed you through his strength to withstand those things in the past. So he says, remember the former hard times and the grace that sustained you. That same godly endurance will carry you through to the end. You know, just hearing the encouraging tone of these final verses reminded me of like a coach's halftime little um, pep talk that he gives to his, um, his players. And so I just want to conclude by reading a verse 37 through 39. And imagine this from a coach standpoint. Everybody's taking a knee. He says, yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. God is that coach in our corner who's saying, it's just a little longer, you can do it. In Hebrews 4, verse 16, I'm going to go ahead and just remind us of that confidence that we should have. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. This morning, I want you to examine the things in your life that maybe you've been struggling with and ask yourself the question, are you struggling with that because you are believing the lie that you are not allowed to enter into God's presence in order to help you with this thing? You've been struggling with that on your own. Nobody knows about it. And you're like, are you serious? I can take this out of the closet. I can throw it in the in the middle of the front lawn and let the light just expose it for what it is. Because the struggles that are coming against you are not personal to you. They're just personal for you because the enemy knows the things that you struggle with. But sometimes we take them on so personally that we almost see them as a part of who we are. And God says, no, I don't see you that way. Remember, I don't have a record of the sin. So why are you keeping records for things that no longer apply to you? So as you come this morning, um, come to get prayer, um, just remember to boldly enter into that throne room of grace because God has that grace and mercy for you in your time of need. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to, to lay it all before you. And Father, we silence the lies of the enemy that say that we're not allowed to come in. We demand entrance. We have that VIP pass. Lord God, without wavering, with full assurance, we come in and we sit in your throne room and we're going to get those needs met, Father God, and we're going to be determined and expectant until they are. Lord God, we thank you. We give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content. Please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.